0: Good morning, everyone. Um, I just thoroughly enjoyed watching those baptisms, didn't you? And, um well, you can clap. Um, in my, I, I would agree with, with our, our pastor that uh, I hope this is going to be something that has to be done every weekend because there's so many people whose lives are being changed. That would be an awesome and amazing experience. And let's believe and have faith that's going to happen, amen? amen? But what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is a name change. I thought I'd allow a little tension to go with that. Because <laughs> some of you are thinking, are you going to change the name of the church? No, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that I change the name of the church. Although, you don't know how many times I get kidded about Wooddale Church. <laughs> I would call it Wood Kyle, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm not talking about changing the name of the church, but I am talking about your name change. In fact, if you are already a follower of Christ, your name has been changed, and, and you may not even know it. If I were to ask you today, well, what's your new name? Because it is Christ who changes your name, and it it's Christ who gives you a new name. I think some of us would be struggling, hard-pressed to say that we know what this new name is. So that's what I, I want to explore with you today. And this is the, the final episode in season one of our series, Journey to Transformation. Pastor Kyle and I are challenging ourselves and challenging you to consider in this new year rediscovering who Christ really is. Because what happens, as we've already talked about, it, is that over time, our idea of who Jesus is, our concept of Christ, can easily be tainted by the culture. By our own experiences, by what other people say to us. And pretty soon we're following a Jesus that isn't necessarily the Jesus of the Bible. And so what we want to do is we want to have kind of a fresh encounter into that whole experience. And that's why we've encouraged you to journal with us through the series. And you haven't gotten your journal yet, they're available out by door one and two, or you can go online and download it as well. Those of you who are joining us, especially from other parts of the world, I was in Ethiopia, this past week training uh, a bunch of pastors who oversee a broad uh, swath of countries where you and I are helping uh, plant churches, especially in in villages that have never, ever had a Christian witness. And and one of them was sharing with me, I just enjoy watching Wooddale every weekend after I'm done with our church and our service. So we have people joining us from all over the world. Isn't that cool? And uh, that's how I think Christ wants it to be. All right, the church is not just a singular location, it is all believers worldwide. We form the church of Christ. And so, as we end season one, um, I want to kind of summarize where we've been. If you've been journaling with us, then you should have a sense of this already. But just real quick, a little outline here we've talked about, or you've read about how. Mark introduces Jesus as the Son of God, how John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for our Lord. We saw his baptism, the affirmation by the Father. We know, Mark at least mentions briefly, that Jesus had to go through a period of temptation, and then he began calling people to follow him. There's miracles and teachings and healings and challenges by those who didn't like Jesus. He was kind of taking up their space and their authority, particularly the Pharisees. And then the ministry just begins to flourish and it, and it begins to grow. And then suddenly we come to this pivotal moment when Jesus is going to call together his team who are going to help lead the movement that you and I are now part of. We call it Christianity. Christian means Christ-like, but this movement of God's kingdom and how, how Christ wants to change our lives and change the world. And he starts out with just Just 12 very simple, flawed individuals like you and me. That's where I want to pick it up today. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 3, if you use the Bibles we provide, it's page 1525. Otherwise, I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to ask you to stand. Reverence, honor for the word of God. And let me read it for you. It says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. By the way, that's kind of a picture of Moses in a way. Moses went up Mount Sinai, I remember, and and then we had the naming of the 12 nations of Israel. So Jesus is like the second Moses, okay? He's called the second Adam in the scriptures, and now he's going to name the 12 who will help lead this movement. So as they were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons... These are the 12 he chose. Simon, who he named Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. May God bless the reading of his word to our souls today. You can be seated. So Jesus gives a whole bunch of direction to his disciples Things they're supposed to say and do. And it all grows out of his naming them. He names all of them apostles. And the word apostle means sent one. So each one was a sent one, and together they were sent ones as well. In fact, he even gives a few of them special names. He calls Simon Peter, and by the way, it took you know, Simon becoming Peter Petrus the Rock, it took him his whole life to realize what God had called him to be. And as far as the sons of thunder, I had no idea what Jesus meant by that. I mean, I can guess about it. You know, oftentimes we think about John the beloved, right? And yet he's called a son of thunder. But Jesus has these unique names that he gives to his followers. And We're gonna explore the importance of names. In fact, I'm gonna belabor it quite a bit. And the reason I'm doing that is for a very important principle, something that um, if you don't get anything else out of today, I hope you remember this, and that's simply this. Whatever names you, owns you. Say it with me, whatever names you, owns you. Now, I could've put in there, whoever names you, owns you, and I suppose there's some truth to that. By I, I put it as whatever, because it's not always people who name us. Sometimes our name, so to speak, comes from, especially in this Western culture, what we do. You know, in the Bible, sometimes we're given names of individuals, and sometimes we're not given their names. We're given a descriptor of them. For instance, When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, we're never told what his name is. We're not told his name was Ben or Sam or John or anything like that. He's just simply called the rich young ruler. He says to Jesus, I want to follow you. You know, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, well, obey all the commandments. And he said, well, I kept them all. And Jesus said, great, go sell everything you have. Come and follow me. And it says that he kind of hung his head down and walked away with Jesus because he couldn't part with his riches. So... Whatever names you, owns you. We're not given his real name. And I think one of the reasons why we're not given his name is because the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that sometimes our names are the things that control our lives. In this case, it was his riches, it was his worth, it was his value. And so what can happen in our lives sometimes is what names us is our success, what names us is our materialism, what names us uh, might be our position or a place in life whatever names you, owns you. And that's why it's so important for us to understand what Jesus has named us, and to know that name, to discover that name. See, in the ancient times, when you were given a name, I think it meant a whole lot more than it means today. In the ancient times, the idea is when you name somebody, it's almost like you're attributing them the power that might go with that name, the the wisdom that might go with that name, the stature, the the strength that might go with that name. Let me uh, give you an example. You know, sometimes in history, people weren't just given a name, they were given a really long group of names because their parents evidently wanted them to measure up to all these things. So uh, perhaps you've heard of Johannes, Chrysostrum, Wolfgang, Theophilus Mozart. Can you imagine the size of his business card? (laughs) I mean, you and I know him as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, right? Amadeus being the Latin form of the Greek word Theophilus. Man, his parents had some huge expectations on him. I guess if we're really going to believe that your name, you know, is to bring certain attributes into your life, we should be careful. Marsha and I were watching television the other day, and uh, we were watching NCAA collegiate wrestling. Our son wrestled, and we just, we like to watch uh, still to this very day. And it was at a tournament, and the wrestler got on the mat, and they introduced him, and his name was Maximus. Man, I love that name. I wish, I don't know why my parents named me Dale. I asked my dad one day, I, I, I said, Dad, I said, why did you guys, because I don't care for that name, I said, why did you guys name me Dale? And he goes, well, I didn't want to, but your mother said that's what you had to be named. I said, Well, what did you want to name me? He said, I wanted to call you Daniel, like in the Bible. And I'm like, Why didn't you insist on it? Dale, there's nobody in our family with the name of Dale. Dale means Low Valley. Was Mom depressed when she named me? What is this all about? Anyway, I'll get over it. Um, So this guy comes on the mat, and his name is Maximus. And Marcia looked at me and she said, She said to me, He better win. (laughs) And he lost. And I thought to myself, "He's gone from Maximus to Minimus, but anyway, <laughs> be careful what you name. Also, in the ancient times, they would sometimes give people a secret, or what they call the true name. Native American culture that's still done in some tribes today, you are given a secret or a true name. And you're not supposed to let that name. known to very many people. Only a very few people are allowed to call you that name. And the superstition behind it is that if somebody understands and knows your secret and true name, they can use that to kind of control you. And and you just don't don't want that to happen. So names throughout history have been really, really important. And and, and maybe as Westerners, we've forgotten that, or, or maybe we haven't. You know, a lot of time and energy and money gets spent into branding by companies. How many of you have ever heard of British Petroleum? All right? All of us have, right? Do you know that they spent $200 million renaming, rebranding themselves, and now they're known as what? Can you imagine spending that kind of money on two letters from the alphabet? I wish they'd asked me. I would have charged them half the amount for BP. Of course, that goes in all the marketing and everything else. Why? Because they understand the value of a name. A name projects so much about you, right? You want to get that name right. Even people change their names. Why do people change their names? Because the name that they have, at least to them, doesn't convey who they want to be or what they want to be. How many of you know who Marion Michael Morrison really is? Do you know what Marion Michael Morrison's name was changed to? john wayne how many of you know who john wayne is you know the rough tough guy i guess john just thought to himself you know it's just not going to work for me to ride a horse and show up a town and say i'm marshall murrian doesn't project enough toughness right now some of you especially those of you who are younger will probably know who uh stephanie joanne angelica germanata changed her name to what did she change her name to <laughs> I heard it from that side of the room. That's interesting. All right, change your name to Lady Gaga, which, yeah, you know, names are names, right? But when you think about it, I mean, she's made a lot of money with that name, right? Why do, why do people do that? Why do they change their names? Because they feel a need to reinvent themselves to kind of gain a new sense of Identity. Which then leads to the question, why are you talking about all this name change? What does this really have to do with me and my name? Well, let's bring it home, okay? How did God create everything? He named it. He named it. He said, let there be light, and there was what? Go back and read Genesis chapter 1 through 2. He spoke, and he gave it a name. Now think about this. When God names something, he actually, by naming it, Brings it into reality by naming it, he gives it a nature. If you want to write it down as a principle, when God names, it creates reality. It's not like God made something, <clears throat> then stood, ba- stood back and looked at it and said, Yeah, that looks like light, I'll call it light. Yeah, that looks like a moon, I'll call it a moon, or, or whatever it is. God actually gave its attributes. God gave it its nature by just, by just naming it into existence, which is so different than how we do things. We look at something, and then we name it by how it appears or how we would like it to appear. So, for instance, certain flowers that, that are so bright and are yellow, and they remind us of the sunshine. What do we call them? Sunflowers. Or these tiny little birds. If you held one in your hand, it's, I think it's like... Five grains of aspirin equal in weight. But when it flies, it makes this humming sound. So, what do we call it? Hummingbirds. I could go on and on and on. We look at something and we say, Oh, look at the nature of that. I will call it this. We don't give it a nature by calling it something. God can do that. And Jesus does that. When Jesus names the apostles, he calls them apostles. He says, you are an apostle. You are a sent one. He doesn't do it because he looks at them and says, you know what, you guys look like you could be an apostle. Join me. He doesn't do that. He takes them, they're very ordinary. They they are prone to sin. They have struggles and challenges in their lives. One of them denies, the other betrays. And he says to them, I'm going to give you this nature. I'm going to make you a sent one. I'm going to transform your life. Now, we can get in the way of it, like Peter often did, like Judas certainly did. We can insist on keeping our own name the way we want it to be, or we can grow into the name that God gives to each one of us. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 2. I love this. It says... For we are God's masterpiece or workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And that word for masterpiece or for workmanship is the word poea in the Greek, from which we get the word poem, poem. Let me think about this for a minute. God is very much an artist. And you are his poem, that he's writing. In verse fourteen of the passage, in the original Greek, and it's very hard to translate into the English. When Jesus says, "And and you will become fishers of men," it means to become and keep becoming. And, and then, as we move into the passage that we're looking at right now, he says, he says to them that I, I ch- you know, I'm choosing you to come and and to follow me, it's actually this word designating. I'm designating you to be apostles. If you look at the root word for designate, it actually is a word of an artist who sculpts something out of stone or out of clay and gives form and image to it. See the beautiful picture there? The artist, Jesus, says, I'm going to, I'm going to chisel away a whole bunch of stuff. If you'll let me, do you hear what I just said? If you'll let me, I'm going to bring out this form in you. And the form he's going to bring out, obviously, is, is a reflection of himself. Christ in me, Paul says, the, the hope of glory. Everybody here, can, I just would pray you would grasp this with me for a moment. You are God's, you're God's artwork. You are, you are something that God is writing, something that God is shaping and building. And you need to find out who you are. That's why I put this principle down. Simply, only in Jesus can we find our true name. Only in Christ can we truly find out who we are. John put it this way, this whole idea of naming us. In John chapter 10, he said the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, that's the shepherd, and the sheep recognize his voice. You know, shepherds, even to this very day, will name their sheep, and they will call their sheep by name. And they have such a relationship with the sheep, the the sheep will actually recognize their name and come to him. He calls his own sheep by what? by name, and leads them out. But here's a fascinating passage found in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the white stone will be engraved a what? A new name, that no one understands except the one who receives it. Except the one who receives it. And T. Wright, famous theologian, Grant Osborne is a theologian, both tell us in their commentaries on the book of Revelation that the best guess we have of what that means, what Jesus meant, is that is that in the ancient times if you were invited to a feast or a party your your name would actually be engraved on a white stone and that white stone would be given to you it was like a ticket and when you showed up for that feast that celebration that party you produced that white stone with your name it was taken and you were allowed to come in if you showed up without it you couldn't come in if you showed up without it in the wrong name you couldn't come in so there's this whole mystery right And if you go to N.T. Wright and some of these guys you say, well, what does this actually mean? Their answer is, we're not sure. Well, what is that name he's given to me? I'm not sure. If you were to ask me, say, well, Dale, what's the new name? What's this new name Jesus has given to me? I don't know. Do you know why I don't know? Because we just read it there in Revelation. Because only he knows, and guess what? Only you know. Now you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know, how do I find out what that new name is that he's given to me? Well, I can tell you three things that you need to do to discover what that name is, and listen carefully, it'll probably take you your whole life to find it out. You say, well, what are those things that I need to do? Here's the first thing, to know who you are, you have to lose who you are. Say it with me. To know who you are, you have to lose who you are. In Mark chapter 8, and verse 35, and we'll be there soon in our next season, we come across a verse, I've alluded to it before, it goes like this. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So when you saw those uh, youth and those adults, by the way, in the last service, we had somebody, I think he was 97 years old, who was baptized. It was really precious. I mean, I was like tearing up. It was, it was just precious. Doesn't matter how young, how old you are. But when you see them being baptized, in a sense, when they go under the water and come out, there's, there's a symbolism here. I'm losing who I was. I'm coming into my new reality, who I am now, this new name. But in order to find out who you are, you have to lose who you are. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, "Follow me, and I'll make you what fishers of men. I want you to go to the dark abyss of this world. That's you know, because the sea in those days was a frightening thing to people. They saw it as deep and mystery and dark and scary. You die in the sea." And he says, "That's the picture of the world." He says, "I want you to draw people out of that. So your whole concern." Your whole concern has to be not about yourself, it has to be concern about others. And you know, something wonderful happens when you begin to make up your mind that you are going to serve others, that you are going to help others find out who they are is how you find out who you are. And it goes against the grain of our culture, doesn't it? Because our culture is all about me. It's all about me finding my identity, finding out who I am. It's, It's Everything's focused on me. Now, we're going to pretend for a moment they're one massive 12-step group in here, all right? How many of you, because I don't want to be alone, how many of you would admit with me that you spend an awful lot of time concerned about yourself, right? We all do. At that time that we worry about our own concerns, our own emotions, our own thoughts, it robs us of finding out who we really are. Secondly, to know who you are, you have to 12 it. Say it with me. To know who you are, you have to 12 it. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I ripped that off from Tim Keller. All right? And what he meant by that is to find out who we really are, we need to be in community with others. Now, I want to refine that down to not just like I'm in community with you right now. I want to refine it down to a community of a few others who I make myself accountable to because you see they could help me discover who my false self is in order to find out who my true self is. Now, let me give you an illustration by that, okay? Um, I, I, I do not like to hear myself on any kind of audio or video recording. I just, if I have to listen to a sermon I've done, if I have to watch myself, I just, Oh, it just bothers the daylights out of me because because I don't like my voice when I hear it coming out of whatever I'm watching it on. Because when I hear myself, I just feel like it sounds to me like I have both fingers stuck up my nose and I'm trying to talk. It sounds so nasal, sounds so sinus, it's like I have a perpetual cold in my life. And, and and so when I hear it, I'll like I'll look at my wife or my kids or others, and I'll say, is that really how I sound? And they'll say, Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm like, something's wrong with you guys' hearing. I can't sound that bad. Oh no, that's you. But we love you anyway. I remember when I came to my uh, former church, before I came here, there was a doctor, and um, he was part of the search team, and, and, and he said, hey, he said, I'd like to take you on my dime to visit a friend of mine who's a uh, nose, ear, and throat specialist. I said, is something wrong? <laughs> he goes, yeah, your voice is, maybe there's something going on, and uh, I said, okay. See what you guys put pastors through sometimes? Just, you know, just let you know. Just let you know. You think we put you through it. So I'd go, and they'd do, you know, a CAT scan of my whole head, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, what? Oh, my goodness. I have an operation. What's wrong with me? I didn't think I was that bad. And I loved it because at the very end, the specialist came in, and he looked at me, and he looked at his friend, and he said, there's really nothing wrong. It's just how he sounds. <laughs> see, my problem is, your problem is, when we hear our voice, right, as we're speaking like I'm doing right now, it's, it's modified by our bone structure, by tissue, by muscle, by our throats. So the truth, honestly, the truth is, I don't really hear myself the right way. So I need some people in my life to say, hey, this is what you really are sounding like right now, and it's not like Jesus. I'm not talking about the physical quality of the voice, now I'm talking about attitudes and and mindset. I need somebody to tell me, because I don't always hear myself, that I'm not sounding like Jesus. Why? So I can make some changes to sound like Jesus. You get what I'm trying to say? Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have people like that in your life who can help you honestly hear yourself so you can begin to speak with the voice of Christ and sound more like him? Folks, that's a lifetime process. But the more that happens in your life, the more you'll come to identify who you really are. Last principle. To know who you really are, you have to practice withing. withing. Jesus says, "You know, I'm making you apostles, I'm naming you apostles, apostles and I'm inviting you to go with me. To, he says to be with me. Can you imagine being with Jesus as guys had it made, right? Three and a half years, being with Jesus. If you knew you are going to wake up tomorrow and Jesus was going to be at your front doorstep, how I many you be excited about that? I mean, would be, wouldn't we? You wouldn't be able to sleep. You'd be at the door ready any moment to open it. And what's your day going to be like with Jesus? You think you'd be able to sleep after he leaves? You're going to be up for weeks thinking about, I spent the day with Jesus. I just want to tell you that that opportunity is available to you every single day. I've been reading through the Gospel of John again. In John 14, 17, Jesus said, he is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, I have to go because I'm sending the Spirit. He says, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. I'm afraid a lot of us don't look for him either and don't recognize him. But Jesus says, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be where? Will be in you. Where is God today? If I were to ask you where God is today, don't point into the sky. Go like this. He's in here. If I really want to know who he is, I need to get in tune with his presence in here me i need to learn to be with him and there's a lot i could say about that i just want to pick two verses though and ask you to focus on this one thing about his presence in you romans chapter 5 verse 1 therefore since we've been justified that's how we've been made right with god by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ that's the only way i come to peace and hope does not put us to shame because look at this he says God's love has been what? Poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Think about that for a minute. That's why I have this basin up here. I want you to imagine that this basin represents your life and my life. It is shaped to catch. It is shaped to receive something. You were shaped. It's said that in us is a God-shaped vacuum and nothing else will honestly, truly fit and satisfy our lives. Not money, not sex, not anything the world offers, but God himself. And what God says he wants to do through Christ is he wants to pour into our lives. Sorry about that. He wants to pour into our lives and actually overpour our lives with the love of the Spirit. Can I ask you a question? Is that you right now? Could you honestly say, I feel like that basin. I feel like God has just poured into my life his love. If you don't, it's because you haven't learned to be with him. And I struggle with this in my own life. I tend to be with my problems. I tend to be with my challenges. I tend to be with others. I need to learn to be with the Lord. Jesus went, remember a couple weekends ago, Jesus went to be with his father in the wilderness, to just be with him. And we said that we think one of the things that that happened during that time is what he heard at his baptism. This is my son, who I love, who brings me much joy, who I'm so pleased with, it says in the Gospels. The father was always communicating how he felt about his son and how did he feel about his son. He loved his son. He was pleased with his son. He found joy in his son. Can I say this to you? It may be hard for you to receive. But the Father feels that way about you, too. He loves you. He's pleased with you. You bring him joy. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he, yeah, but based on what I did this morning, what I did last week, based on my attitude, based on the way I am, my goodness, if, if our pleasing and bringing God joy is based on what we have to do, it's never going to happen. It's based on what he's done for us. See, that's the difference between the gospel and any other kind of religion. Every other religion is about what you have to do. The gospel is about what he's done for us. That's why it's called grace. And that's what he's poured into our lives. And that's what, that's what he wants to focus on. And then, and then minister, and then minister out of that. He's transformed our lives. He's changed our lives. Do you know that God can even use suffering to make us more aware of Himself? You know, suffering is one of those things in your life. When you suffer, you, you know it takes it takes a lot of things away from you. It takes your health away from you. Maybe, maybe it takes you know. Your life away from you, maybe it takes the life of somebody else away from you. Suffering, like I said the other day, is is like God comes along and he allows all these crutches that we kind of lean on to be kicked out underneath of us so that all we have left is God. And is that necessarily such a bad thing? To only have God left. Maybe you're going through some suffering right now. And everything else is being stripped away from you. Instead of being angry and bitter, about it just rest in him just say I thank you God that nothing can ever take you away from me and as you settle into that my goodness the intimacy that begins to form between you and God so I've been telling you the story about a man I had to change his name his name I call him Sam how many of you know the story I'm talking about you want to hear the end of it or I can wait till next weekend. <laughs> so Sam, remember, had gone from being a militant, opposed to the government that had control of the state, opposed to God and everything else, to becoming a Christian. You'll have to go back and listen to the other sermons to get how he got to that point. But once he became a believer, he began to pray and trust God, and God led him out of that, that unit that he was a part of, those, those, that gang, that militia group, And uh, he went back to the village where he heard about Jesus and gave his heart to Christ. And I said, when he came back to that village, that the pastor and some believers actually took him on a little trip. He didn't know where he was going, but when they came in the opening, they had taken him to the local jail, to the local police station. And he was locked in a room, and he thought to himself, oh my goodness, I can't believe I fell for this. And then he saw two official cars showing up, and he saw you know, high officials coming out, and he's thinking to himself, I'm about to be tortured. They're going to try to extract from me you know, who was part of the gang and you know, what was my part in it. Then they're either going to put me in jail or kill me. And I left you hanging there to say, what's going to happen? Well, what happened is the pastor knew what he was doing. The pastor had negotiated for the man's quiet surrender, and those officials came to verify that the man had actually become a new person, and that he was surrendering, and they, they let him go. They held nothing against him. They said, we're not gonna charge you. Now that you surrendered, now that you started a new life, go, you're free. Man, he was so happy. First thing he wanted to do is go home to his own village where there was about 120 people. When he came back to his home village, the people were so glad to see him. To them, he was a hero, being part of that militia group, trying to liberate their state from the government. They celebrated the fact that he was home again. That weekend, though, he left his village, and he went to that village where he accepted Christ and attended the little church that was there. He did that every weekend, and people began noticing that he was leaving, and they followed him to see where he was going. And when they found out where he was going, he was called to a meeting where the whole village showed up. But this time, not to celebrate him, this time to condemn him. They're so angry with him. His mother was so angry with him, she said to him, I wish you were dead. It would have been better if you had died in the militia. Then we could build a statue in honor of you than for you to become a Christian. His brother, who loved him, knew what was about to happen. And he spoke up and he said, "Let's let's just tell him to leave our village. We'll act like he was never alive in the first place and he was able to agree them, and his brother slipped him some money, and they burned everything he had, and he left with that money in his hands, boarded a train, and went to a city where I've been many times, where we have a dear friend on behalf of Wooddale that's helping us plant churches there. And he got off that train in that city, and he sat on the steps, and he wondered, where do I go next? Eventually, he found his way to the campus of a Bible college in that area, and he thought to himself, this is the right place for me to be. And he went in and met w- with the headmaster, and he said to him, he said, I, I, I need to learn about God. I want to enroll in your Bible college. The headmaster said, well, do you have a high school diploma? No. Do you have college transcripts? No. And the headmaster was thinking to himself, I can't accept this guy. He says, he says you know, have you been baptized? And he said, what's that? The headmaster said, okay, I, uh, I guess I have to take you in. You at least got to figure that out. He goes, whatever it is, I want it. But he goes, I won't take it till I understand it. So he started taking courses. And when he found out what it meant, he showed up one day and he said to the headmaster, he says, I want to be baptized. And he was baptized. And he grew in his faith. And today, not only has he planted churches, but he oversees, on behalf of Wooddale, he oversees the planting of many other churches. Today, he's married. He has two daughters, and an adopted child. And a couple years ago, he went back to his home village and made peace with them. And now he has an influence on them. Do you, see what, do you see what God does when we allow him to pour his spirit into our life? Do you see what God does when we trust him even in the midst of adversity and suffering? We come to know him like we would not know him in any other way. Now let me close with this last illustration to help you and me find out our true identity. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story in which Jesus sends out 70 of his followers to witness to the communities and villages around them. And he gives them the power to not only bring healing into people's lives, but to cast out demons. And when they come back, they are so excited. They tell Jesus about all that happened. They say, even the demons had to obey our commands. And Jesus rejoices with them, but then he warns them of something. Here's what he says. He says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Let's finish it with me. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. What name? That new name. That only he knows and only you can come to know. You know, in the Old Testament, when the high priest would go into the holy of holies he wore what was called an ephod and and it looked kind of like this and on the ephod were these 12 stones and on each stone was engraven the name of one of the tribes of israel the 12 tribes so that when he stood in the holy of holies making the sacrifice once a year for the atonement of the sins of the nation it's like god would receive that sacrifice and then god would look and see those names written on those stones and could forgive, could forgive the tribes. I'm not going to share the verse with you now. I'll read Hebrews chapter 12 later on in your own. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that Jesus appears before the Father as our mediator. And it's as though each of our names have been written across his chest. And God accepts us and God forgives us because Christ has given us a new name. What is that name? Only he knows it and only you know it. Let's pray. Your heads bowed for a moment. I think it's only appropriate that on this day when we have witnessed baptisms, men and women, children, young people telling us, I've given myself to Christ. I think it's only appropriate that if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ or you're unsure you've given your life to Christ, that you have an opportunity to do that right now. And you can. You can. It's it's as simple as expressing to the Lord, "I, I want to find my identity in you and not in myself. Not in my past, not in my failures, not in my sins, not in my successes, not in my relationships but just in you today i'm turning my life over to you all you have to do is simply say to the lord in your own way lord i admit to to you and to myself that i i'm not at peace with you and i ask your forgiveness i admit to you i i am a sinner i'm a rebel and i ask you for your forgiveness lord today i want that new name today i want to be your child Today, I want you to pour your love into me. God, I guess what I'm saying is yes to you. Come and take over my life. If that's your heart's desire, then in a few moments when I'm finished, Pastor Kyle will let you know what you need to do next because we want to help you in that journey. Amen.